want you to be happy, but then you gotta have something happening. I want you to have joy, cause can't nobody take that from you. <laughs> I see you, smile. Y'all want some more? Y'all want some more of that? Are y'all sure y'all want some more of that? I am excited for this morning. Uh, I've been preparing for basically two weeks solid, so I'm definitely excited for uh, what we have going on. Um, let's see here. I want to start off very quickly. In Ezekiel, it's just funny, uh, was not planned, but Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 and 2. They say, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your word. Lord, as we go through the book of Nehemiah together, Lord, I ask that you would continue to reveal new things to us, Lord, that you would continue to reveal who you are, who we are, and who you call us to be, Lord. We thank you for your presence here. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, before we get too deep into anything, um, even though we already dove in there, um, we are going through the book of Nehemiah, right, via Legacy Builders, which is a series we're doing. 
If you don't have um, the Legacy Builders book, you need to get one. If you got it here this morning, open it up right now. We're going to be um, start at the very start of week three, and we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter three. If you open your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter three, everything today is going to be in the English Standard Version. So if you care about that, there you go. Um, and before we get too deep, um, I want to again reiterate our big purpose statement for this whole series. And that is this, over the next 35 days, which we are well into, our goal as a church is to seek solidarity by taking a faith initiative to ensure the spiritual preservation of the next generation to serve God. Amen? All right. Today we're going to be looking mostly at the solidarity part of that, uh, that phrase, all right? So just keep that in mind. And now last week, Pastor Justin started to speak for a little bit about um, the faith initiatives and the fact that he doesn't care who you are, all right? And it doesn't matter who you are. Participation in the call of God is essential, okay? He already was talking about that, and that is what we're going to dive into this morning. So we're going to expound on that. We're going to go deep into that with Nehemiah chapter 3. And I want to start off similarly to the theme he is following, and that is with a question. All right, so I want to pose a question, and it's a question that probably many of you have asked yourselves. Um, Those of you who are believers, there's a good chance you have asked yourself this question, and that is this. How do I know if I am called to the ministry? How do I know if I'm called to the ministry? And again, every believer probably faces this at some point in their life. If, if they read the Bible and they recognize that God calls people to move and to do things, which he does, then they would ask themselves this question. How do I know if God is calling me to do something? How do I know if God is calling me to be a pastor? How do I know if God's calling me to be a missionary? And so we are going to explore these things, and I'm excited about it. And I want to start by sharing a little bit about my calling. Some of you may have already heard it, but I'm going to talk about it again. When I was five, and I remember this, and it's amazing that I remember it, because I don't remember much from five years old, but I remember telling my mother, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor. I remember it. And I wrote a card to my pastor, and I said, when I grow up, I want to be like you. And I used my newly learned punctuation at the time, comma, a pastor. And I made it clear that I want to be just like you, not just who you are, but I want to do what you do. Five years old. And he still has that card, by the way. When I was 12 years old, I started to question it because I was like, well, Growing up in a Christian home, wanting to be a pastor is really cool. So I wasn't sure if I just did that because I I wanted to be cool um, and be different from other people, right? All my friends wanted to be firefighters and policemen and stuff. So um, I questioned it, and God didn't let me question it very long. And he spoke to me very directly and asked me uh, in relation to something that, an event that had happened, he asked me, are you willing to do this for me? And I answered yes right then and haven't looked back since. And so 
that is my call to be a pastor. Okay, and I want to make that very clear. That was my call to be a pastor. It looks different for a lot of people. If you read through the Bible, everybody's calls looks different, right? Paul, um, who we're going to talk about a little later, in the middle of the road on his way to kill Christians, right? Um, you got Moses in the middle of a desert after being in that desert for 40 years. Then God calls him to go do something. Um, and God had been preparing him, though, since he was a little kid. And so we never know um, what God may call us to do, and we never know what he may be preparing us to do. Um, but it can be assured that he has something in store. So moving on, what we're going to do is we're going to first look, and for most of this sermon, look at the requirements for being called to the ministry. Okay, the requirements for being called to the ministry. And I want to caution you. I'm going to give you a point. Okay, I'm going to list one of these requirements. And if you don't listen closely, you're going to think it's heresy. Okay, and that's on purpose because I want you to listen closely. So I'm going to give you a point, And it's going to make sense. And it's not going to be heresy. But you've got to listen to why. Okay. Can we do that? Okay, and taking notes would be a good thing to help with that. All right, so don't miss the truth of each point. Now, Nehemiah chapter 3, if you've read it already, uh, is a tough read, um, and it's definitely a tough preach. I did not anticipate being able to preach the chapter very well, but God has uh, worked on that, and we're going to go through chapter 3 today. Um, but if you read it, each verse sounds the same as the other, just different names inserted, right? Different uh, names for different portions of the wall. And it's all just talking about who built what part of the wall, right? So what we're going to do, we're going to skim through the chapter via picking out certain verses and certain aspects. And we're going to draw from that the main points and the overarching points of this passage, okay? So we're going to start. Nehemiah. Chapter 3, verse, verses 1 and 2. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Another reason why it's not so fun is all those names. All right, but bear with me. Okay, bear with any mispronunciations. I want you to notice, first of all, who is it that rises up to build the wall? The high priest, right? And the other priests. If you read further along, you'll see also in verse 22 and in verse 28, and I think in other verses as well, it talks about priests building the wall. Okay, and now if we're looking at the equivalent to today, priests would be like pastors or like uh, presbyters, because the high priest would be an overseer of many priests and of what is the sacrifices done for that community and all that. So think of it in those terms today. And if you look into the call of God and you think about who is answering the call in this passage, it makes sense to us. Who, who should answer the call of God? His, his priests, right? His pastors, his presbyters. 
right, his appointed people, those who he has called out very separate, right? In Israel, it was only the tribe of Levi, and in the tribe of Levi, it was only certain men, and there was only one man who was the high, high priest and was able to enter the most holy place, and so it was the most specific, the most uh, ceremonially clean people, okay? They had to follow many different rules. They had to live by a different standard, same as today, with pastors and overseers and deacons. They are called to a higher standard that is scriptural. And it makes sense to us that those would be the people that God would call, that those would be the people God would choose, the people who live so uh, perfectly within his commanded law. And so my first point is this, that in order to be called to the ministry, in order to uh, do ministry, you have to be holy. You must be holy, okay? Write that down. You must be holy. You must be on the in, okay? And again, this may sound terrible. You may say, that's not me, <laughs> um, because I fail every day, all right? But rest assured, that's me too, okay? I'm with you in that boat. I am not holy on my own, all right? But we must be. And so I want to talk about who built next to them. And you'll see that it says that the men of Jericho built the next section. And if you look into that, you'll recognize that Jericho is not in Jerusalem. Okay, Jericho is outside of Jerusalem. It's pretty close, um, but it is not in Jerusalem. And the men of Jericho, they may have been originally from Jericho. They may have been living in Jericho even at this time, and they went to Jerusalem to help build the wall. But either way, the men of Jericho would be outsiders. They, are, they, they don't live in They're not from Jerusalem, right? For them to build the wall of Jerusalem isn't directly their problem, right? But... God uses them nonetheless. They were not on the inside. They were not the people who lived even in the temple, like the priests. They were outsiders. And I don't think it is insignificant that they are mentioned, that God mentions them next to the priests. And I want you to consider as another example when Paul was called. Okay, Paul was not called because he was a great priest. Okay, he wasn't called because of his holiness, which he 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 followed the law, and he states that many times over in his epistles. He followed the law strictly, but God chose to call him when he was doing the worst thing, and that was going to kill Christians. And he had already been doing it, and he was on his way to do more of it. And God chose to speak to him, change him, give him holiness, and then call him and use him and use him for the ministry. And it had nothing to do with who Paul was. And I have to admit to you that I believe, this is a personal thing for me, I believe that's why God called me at a young age. I grew up in the church. I grew up doing church things. I grew up doing Bible quiz, right, memorizing whole books of the Bible, quoting them off. I did Royal Rangers. I did everything to a really high degree. I went to, well, I went to Bible college to answer my call. But all of these things, but God called me well before all of that. 
right? He called me when I was five years old, okay? There's no holiness at that moment, all right? He called me when I was 12 years old, when I was questioning things and when I was struggling with other things. He decided to call me in the midst of my weakness, not in what I thought was my strength, amen? And it's the same here. Holiness is not dependent upon us and thank God, all right, because the men of Jericho never would have been included in this ministry if it wasn't for them. If they had to be holy, then only the priests would have any shot, and even the priests fall short. Amen? All right. First John 1 John 1.9 says, and man, this was quoted during prayer this morning. It's unbelievable how God works. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It has nothing to do with our own righteousness. All that is within us is unrighteousness. But God can cleanse us, and all it takes is confession of those sins. Let's continue. Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 3 through 5a. All right, we're going to start stop short in, chap, in verse 5. Uh, the sons of Hassana, or Hassanaah, uh, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, son of Baan, Baana, my bad. I almost said banana, you know. <laughs> repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles, da, da, da. We're going to stop right there. But their nobles. Now, first of all, this is really what the rest of the chapter sounds like, all right? You hear those names. You hear the repetitiveness, okay? And so I read this as an example of the rest of the chapter. If you haven't read it yet, do it. Um, and that's about what the rest of the chapter is like. But there are some things I want you to take notice of. In verse 5, okay, the Tekoites. Has anyone here watched Remember the Titans? Okay, good movie, right? Okay, it's a very popular movie. It's gotten popular recently again, too. Um, it's a good movie. But Remember the Titans, the only similarity is I want you to remember the Tekoites, okay? Remember the Tekoites, we're going to talk about them later, okay? That's all I'm asking of you. But it goes on to talk about their nobles, okay? And here's the point, okay? The next requirement for you to be called to ministry is that you must be in a position of leadership, okay? You must be. You must be in a position of leadership in order for God to use you. Again, that may sound not so great to some of you. You may say, I am not in any position of leadership. Nobody listens to me. I'm not in a position at the church. I'm not in a position in my home. If you're a kid, I want you to know that you are a leader, okay? You can live your life thinking that you uh, can't lead your family you can't lead your siblings because I, growing up I had older siblings and 
for the longest time, I was just like, I mean, they're my example and everything. They're my spiritual example. My parents obviously are my spiritual example. And I'm just a follower. And at one point, it just dawned on me. I was like, why can't I lead in my own home? Why can't I be the one who reads my Bible the most? You know, why can't I be the one who prays with the most faith? Right? And that's not to say anything better or worse, but I could be that, that person. Age doesn't matter. And in fact, Jesus says we have to have faith like a child. So children never question this. Speaking of children, man, we had a great time on Friday night. We had our pumpkin carve. Um, and I just want to give a big shout out to all the youth. You guys are awesome. It was a fantastic time. If any of you know Lord of the Rings, man, I carved an amazing um, Eye of Sauron pumpkin. So if you want to see a picture later, I got you. My fiance is definitely mad at me if she watches this right now. All right. Uh, you have to be in a position of leadership, okay? And we stopped on those nobles. But now we're going to continue reading the rest of verse 5. All of verse 5 here says, And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. The word for stooping or stooping to serve is also the same idea as an ox putting its neck to the plow or to the yoke, right? They weren't willing to do that. They weren't willing to put in hard work or effort for their Lord. The nobles, men in a position, a worldly position of leadership, were not willing to serve. And I want you to compare this to the priests. Okay, Both are in a position of leadership on this earth, right? The priests were very highly regarded. They were held in a high position. So were the nobles. And yet one chose to go right in, dive in, and you see a lot of priests mentioned in this chapter. Even the high priest is mentioned in that very first verse. And then you compare that to these worldly nobles who say, it's not for me. The call is not for me. And this really illustrates for us the difference between a leader in God's kingdom and leaders on this earth. And I want us to be clear on that because we are in a time in history where we are talking about and we are uh, voting on and we are uh, making decisions on worldly positions of leadership. And a worldly position of leadership doesn't mean diddly squat when it comes to a godly leader. Okay? We are called to be leaders in God's kingdom, and it looks so different from what a leader on this earth looks like. Jesus tells his disciples that anybody who wants to be first, anyone who wants to be a leader, must be the slave of all. Okay, And if that doesn't get the point across, I don't know what does. God calls us to serve. A servant leader. It's an overused phrase, but it makes sense. We are called to be leaders in one thing only, and that is in service. Okay, Even your pastor and his wife are called to serve. They're serving God, first of all, and they are serving the body. And we are all called to the exact 
same thing. So a position of leadership doesn't mean you got some, some title, okay? A position of leadership means that you are a servant, amen? And that doesn't mean that you don't have people follow you. That doesn't mean that you don't um, have a title, but it, that's not what makes up a leader in God's kingdom, amen? All right. Now, I was trying last night. This is, this is ultimately a joke. I was trying last night to think of an illustration for this. Like, what is a worldly thing where we get put into a beautiful position that we love, and that is an honor for us to be in, but we got to do some work, right? That, that was what I was trying to think of. And <laughs> because I had spoken about it earlier in the evening with somebody, my, my thought was a fraternity. And, like, it, when you get into a good fraternity, it's supposed to be some great thing. It can go on your resume and all that, right? And it's supposed to be an honor to be in it, right? Oh, Sigma, Sigma, Alpha, Kappa, whatever. <laughs> and, but then there's requirements when you're living in the fraternity, right? And it's a horrible example. The only good that came out of it was I figured out what God's fraternity would be named. Um, Alpha Omega, uh, that, that's, a, that's a good one, right? So that's a horrible example, but I hope you do get the point that God calls us to serve, and it's a privilege, okay? So we are, we are in a privileged position, as Pastor Justin says time and time again, we are in a privileged position as children of God, okay? He has favor on his children, and I love it, but... It's also a privilege to serve and to be in that position of service. All right, I think you guys get it. We're going to move on. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 8. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, Goldsmiths, perfumers, those are the key words there. It doesn't say this specifically, but it can be assumed, okay, that they are not among the poor, okay? Goldsmiths and perfumers, just to deal with those things, whether, you know, you're not among the poor of the people of Israel if you work with those things. Um, we learn about in the New Testament, um, Lydia, I believe, who was the dealer in purple cloth, right, and perfumes. And um, it is always assumed that, okay, she had a little bit of money, right, because she's hosting things at her house and whatnot, and it, it just makes sense, okay? So I don't think it's a stretch to say these are not among the poor of Israel, and in fact, they may be wealthy, okay? And the point, and I think you should, you should all be prepared for this at this point, but the point is that you have to bring something to the table, okay? If you are called to the ministry, you've got to have something to give, okay? God's not going to call you if you're not going to give anything, all right? Goldsmiths and perfumers have a lot to give, okay? And so God chose to call them. But obviously, it doesn't just stop there. We're going to, if you jump way ahead, Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 25 through 26, Palal, the son of Uzai, or Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, uh, Pediah, 
son of Parash, and the temple servants living in Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. Did you catch who serves there? Servants. Okay, temple servants. So we've got the wealthy, the goldsmiths, the perfumers, and the servants. So clearly, having something to bring to the table is not about what we have on this earth. Okay? God's call is not based on what you have on this earth. That includes talents. That includes, obviously, finances and material things. That includes um, a family. It includes rich relationships. It doesn't matter what brokenness you come from. God can call you and can use you. But you got to bring something to the table. So what do we bring? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, there's a reason that we, there's a reason God doesn't choose to use the strong things of this world. Okay, scripture makes that very clear. There's a reason God would call a Paul on his way to go kill Christians. There's a reason God would call me at an extremely young age, okay? We can't bring much to the table except our own brokenness. If you remember in the first John uh, 1 John 1.9 verse, it says that if we confess our sins. To be honest, that's about what we can bring, right? We bring our sins and our brokenness before him. And as Pastor Justin mentioned over communion, Christ's blood covers that. We are made holy, right? We don't bring holiness to the table. We are made holy. And then God can use us. We can be ministers of his gospel. We can spread his kingdom. We can be used by him to touch people, to change hearts, to change lives, and offer his glory. Amen? Getting to one last point here. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 27. The last one we're going to talk about today. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. So now who remembers the Tekoites? They not only did their own section without the help of their nobles, but they did another one. All right, they didn't need nobles on their side. This one, this point I'm about to make has no like no secret hidden agenda. In it, all right, this one is just pure and uh, just you, you'll get it. All right, you must have God on your side. That's the last point. All right, you must be holy. All right, you must be in a position of leadership. You must bring something to the table. And you must have God on your side. And ultimately, this one sums up all of them. Because we can't be made holy without God on our side. We can't uh, be put in a position of leadership and of service without following the example of the ultimate servant, Jesus. 
We can't bring anything to the table except our brokenness. So the rest is left to God to supply. And he does. You have to have God on your side. It didn't matter that their nobles weren't on their side. It didn't matter that the nobles didn't help to finish this wall. It's not like this section was left slightly undone because of this. No, God's will was done, and in fact, twofold. Right? They did another section. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. But Jesus looked at them, his disciples, and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay, that's it right there. With man it's impossible. It can't be done. Okay, $15,000 in, in, in this final offering can't be done, but with God all things are possible. And that's not because we're trusting God to magically make $15,000 appear or appear in our bank accounts that morning so we can give it. It's because we trust that he provides for his people, that his people, when they follow his example, when they follow his commands and are faithful to him, that he will be faithful in return. Amen? Amen. That we can give in faith, believing that God will return it. That God will be faithful to finish the work. You must have God on your side. All in all, I did the math. There's a total of 42 sections mentioned on this wall, okay? Thank God we didn't cover all 42 yet. 42 sections of the wall are mentioned, and there's more groups of people than that that are mentioned, okay? Because multiple parts of the wall were built by multiple people. It's not too different from the number of people who are here this morning. There are servants, there are rulers, there are priests, there are non-priests, there are rich, there are poor, there are young, and there are old. And the last point of all of it is this, we are all called to be ministers, okay? So if you're asking yourself that big question, how do I know if I'm called to the ministry? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes, you are. Ministry does not mean being a pastor. I've said for years now that I have grown up in a family of ministers. Okay? I've grown up, I've, been, I've, I've descended from a family of ministers, but I'm the first pastor. Because it's true. My, my parents are ministers of the gospel of Jesus. My siblings are ministers. They all serve faithfully in their churches. My uh, aunt and uncle are missionaries. My uh, grandparents were all believers and are believers. Uh, my other aunt and uncle um, have served in multiple roles within church, within Christian schools, and all of them are ministers. Okay, not just me. I don't call myself a minister because I am a pastor. I am a minister because I am a Christian. You have to understand that my call to be a pastor was not my call to ministry. Separate them, okay? So if you felt intimidated by this message or if you already thought you knew the answer to this one, like, nope, I'm not called to the ministry. God has made that clear. You're wrong. 
Okay, you are called to the ministry. The ministry may just not be exactly what you think it is. Okay, we are all called to be ministers, and everybody who participated in the rebuilding of this wall was a minister of the growth of God's kingdom. They were rebuilding what God had intended to be there. So my question for you, my questions for you is this. Have you been made holy? Have you accepted the sacrifice of Christ to cover your sins and to make you holy? Are you in a position to serve? That should be an easy one. Do you have something to give? And that does not mean what you may think. Do you have something? Ultimately, is God on your side? Okay, some of, some of you, the answer may be no. The, the answer may be no, I'm still in enmity against God, that I'm still living for this world. And, and that's where you're at. But for today, as we read, you can confess your sins, and God will make you holy, and you will no longer be in enmity with God, but you will be in the position to serve. God can call you. God can use you. And whatever you have to give can go towards his glory. Wrapping it all back up. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army from dry bones to an exceedingly great army. And why? Because of the breath, the touch, the heart, the love, the changing power of God. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to this message that the overarching theme of today is rallying the troops that was my job this morning so I want to give you an opportunity as the army of God to respond to this message and as the army as the bones that had been brought to life did in the book of Ezekiel if you are made holy if you are ready to serve if you know that you have something to give, then I want you to stand this morning, right now, as the army that you were called to be. And again, if that is not you this morning, if you're not ready, don't stand. There's no pressure here. But you can be a part of this. God can use you. I want to ask the prayer team to come forward as we close here and man take a look around you there's a lot of people standing here the troops are ready okay the army is here God has brought many to life and God is ready ready to use you let's pray Lord we thank you for your word God thank you for the power of your word, for what it means to us, God, that your word changes us, that your word gives life and wholeness and holiness to us. God, we thank you for the covering of your son, Jesus, who has made us holy. We thank you, Lord, for our positions where we can serve as a member of your body. 
We thank you, Lord, that you uh, can use us in what little we can bring, Lord, that you can still use us because it doesn't matter what we have, but it matters what you have, God. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, and Lord, you have it all. You have power over all things, and with you on our side, we know that all things are possible, Lord. God, we trust in you. We believe in you. God, we declare today that we are yours, that we are your ministers. Use us in these coming weeks. Use us in these faith initiatives, God. Continue to work on our hearts. Continue to mold us and change us. And as we rebuild these walls, Lord, would you call each and every one of us. Show us the part that we have. We will be faithful to it, God, as your army. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise and honor. Be with your people as they go. Amen, amen. If you need